was it that uh, Ted Malley said about ten minutes ago? Did you hear what I said or what he said? Or did you hear what I heard? <laughs> well, here, did you, did, uh, I'm going I'm to put it up to you. Did you hear Ted Malley say this? More New Yorkers buy TV Guide than any other magazine. There's a sobering thought. That's a scary one. And that was, that was snuck in there in the middle of the news and not even presented as a news item. I think that was far more, more significant than any, any comment about the Middle East or any comment about what's going... Let's try that one again. New Yorkers buy more copies of the TV Guide than any other magazine. Would you please put the Requiem on there for a minute there? <laughs> for Western civilization here. <laughs> da, da, da. Someday I'll find you Moonlight behind you la, da, 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 I'll award the brass figlegi with bronze oak leaf palm if you can tell me whose theme song that was. Someday I'll find you, moonlight behind you. La ta ta ta, la da 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 da, la da. Someday I'll find you. Gee, I'm a terrible singer. When I, when I think about a rotten singer, I, well, now uh, we've had several requests for Pale Hands or the Shalimar, or is it Pale Hands next to the Samovar? I can't remember. What, I never could remember that one. We also had a request for my famous rendition of Mammy's Little Baby Love Shoten and Bread, which I would be glad to render if I didn't have more important things at this time to do. For example, since it's quite evident that that uh, we're living in uh, it is truly a gallimaufry really it is a, we're some kind of a some kind of a gigantic circus uh we have to continue it from last night some kind of a an enormous patchwork quilt of lights and flashes little dark things and guys doing tap dances and great brass bands going past and occasionally great claps of thunder booming out of the darkness and Hold it there now. You just keep that one there on one side. I will sing it for all of us here before we're off. Oh, yes. I mean, there is no real way to pin it down and to say this is the way it is. And the only way, I suppose, in the end that one can can attempt to put some of it into focus is to pull the little threads from all the various events, the happenings, the moments, the instances, the, 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 the brief fleeting seconds of existence and try to pull it together and mix it into a great big uh, some kind of a fruitcake ed mix it all up and throw in a half a jug of brandy and then put it back there in the oven and cook it for a couple of hours and then pull it out and stick it up there on the top shelf and let it cook for a while huh? and then maybe we'll know what it's all about <laughs> right eh friends <laughs> well let's take one of those brief moments one of those brief instances of reality moonlight behind me now fellows I, 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 I don't want to sing tonight, and every time you blow that horn, every time I hear that music, every time I hear that, that audience a clapping and applauding and a yelling and a hollering and a stamping their feet, I just got to sing. 
because there's a song welling up out of my heart. Yes, Mammy Little. All right, now, hold it there. We'll, we'll keep that for a while there. Whew, it's a difficult thing to try to escape. For example, now, I give you... I give you one example of one of those brief, instantaneous things that happened in this great whirly gig of existence to show you that you can't really quite figure it out. Northampton, Connecticut. A summons was served in Guilford, Connecticut, Friday, on a man who is charged by Massachusetts State Police with driving with his view obstructed because of his habit of taking his pet horse for an airing. Reliable sources in Guilford said the summons was served on Sherwood Party, who was stopped on Route 5 in Hatfield, Connecticut, Monday, by State Trooper George Murphy of Troop B. Murphy reported that Party's car contained not only Party, but his year-old 350-pound horse, which occupied a large part of the back seat of the vehicle and whose head was nestling on Party's shoulder. Friends of the Guilford man said that he takes frequent frequent trips to Vermont, always accompanied by his horse. <laughs> Someday I'll find you. Oh, I don't know whether I ever will. <laughs> Moonlight, baby, behind you. <laughs> now, now if, I, if I were to write a play about this guy who takes frequent trips to Vermont to take his horse out for an airing. <laughs> I mean, seriously, you know what? How can you, in, how can you idiots talk about the theater of the absurd when you're confronted with life? I'm serious about that. I mean, I, I, I have gone to more serious theater, and to me that is fantastically more absurd than the theater of the absurd. Here, for example, now, now here i got to go into my accent here. Now, Dallas, Texas, United Press International... Police said today they asked a 70-year-old man if he wants to press charges against his landlady, who shot him in the arm. Nah, he said. Nah, I don't think so. You see, she shot me once before, and I didn't do anything that time. So behind. Ah, ta-ta-ta. Now, I want you to know here, friends and neighbors and fellow sufferers, that in no way, shape, sense, or form am I attempting here at this point or this juncture to put down life in any sense, shape, way, or form. As a matter of fact, I am probably, <laughs> I am probably one, of, one, of the, one of the most devout advocates of existence that you'll ever find. However, what I am attempting to do here is... Uh, where, where, where does the thread come in? Now, you see, she shot me once before, and I didn't do nothing that time. No sense in, in, in riling the waters, is all he had to say. <laughs> and you know, in the end, who can fault him on it? In the end, who can say he was wrong? <laughs> You know, it isn't often when you find the philosopher in action. I'm serious, you know, we talk, all talk about philosophy, and we all talk about live and let live. We all talk about turning the other cheek. But when it shows up, it becomes an actual news item. And it is published coast to coast. Here's a guy who literally did turn, he didn't turn the other cheek, he turned the other shoulder. I mean, ah, no, 
She shot me once before. I guess I don't want to do nothing because actually I shot me once before and I didn't do nothing that time. I'd love to meet this guy. <laughs> Maybe I'd love to meet the landlady too. Seems to be a pretty good shot. Uh, you know, well, well, uh, you know, in, a, in an attempt, you know, talk about the theater, the absurd, and and the, the the great attempt that we make constantly in our lives to put it into form, to somehow make it so that we can explain it to each other, uh, that this is love and this is happiness, uh, this is joy and this is grief. All these things we put together, we put them up on the stage for two and a half hours. And that somehow answers it for us. If we see it in the movie, that makes the scene. We hear it in a you know, play, and yet it never really approaches. Can you imagine what would happen if, if if one guy just once, just once, really wrote a play or or did a movie about life the way it really is? I mean, that would really be scary. I, I don't know what would happen. I think there would be hysterics that wouldn't stop. I mean, I don't I don't mean happy hysterics and laughing hysterics. I think it would frighten people. A gigantic bowling ball has come rolling down that vast alley seven of existence, and there you are, pin number eight. Now, I, I, I must uh, give you another example of, of, our, of our collection here. These are all going into my vast file of trivia, which I, I continually maintain are not trivia at all, but are really the significant notes of our world. Here, for example, got, got to put this in the time capsule, because I think that a thousand years from now, hey, you guys from that World's Fair, whatever that thing is you're building out there, listen, you guys, don't you realize that 6,000 years from now they would like to read this about our world? Listen. A dozen dogs received diplomas last night at graduating exercises for the fall classes staged by the Staten Island Dog Training Associates in Veterans Hall, Port Richmond. Receiving the awards were Napoleon, a miniature poodle owned by Betty Kaplan, Flicker, a German shepherd owned by Lisa Geischeit, Jet, a Doberman owned by Virginia Gogi, Bartender, a Basset owned by Helen Manley, Mechanic, a miniature poodle owned by Sidney LeBlanc, Rama, a German shepherd owned by Anne Machiavecchio, Maggie, an Airedale owned by Robert Mueller, Mike, a Collie owned by Ralph Wood, Butch owned by Dorothy Wood, Shotzi, a dachshund, owned by Karen Weigert. Yox, a miniature poodle, owned by Elaine Lynch. And Porgy, a German shepherd, owned by Sheila Lissoni. They all received graduating diplomas. A dog costume party is planned for November 22nd at 8 p.m. <laughs> I wonder who barked the valedictorian speech. There, our anthropomorphism knows no bounds. Now, I think this is a highly significant, a very, very significant <laughs> note about our time because it tells about our attitude towards the animal kingdom. We're trying to turn them into people. If at all, at all odds, I know a lot of people who are trying to turn themselves into dogs and weasels, but that is not reported in the press usually. That's usually reported in the annals of psychological journals. However, this, this, this is. A, uh, I, I would love to see now. If I were to show you, if I were to write write a scene now, all of my little playwright friends are taking notes now. If I were to write a scene of the dog graduation, where all these people are sitting in the audience and they're giving the diplomas to the various dogs, and now for excellence in obedience and for general 
good-naturedness and his refusal to bite the training manager, we award this special award to Butch. Uh, would you please come up here, Butch? <coughs> would you please come up here, Butch, and bring him up there? And now to Butch, ladies and gentlemen, we want And then Butch stands and faces the audience. They give him his diploma. He goes back. And then there is the air somehow in the gathering that Butch is now taking the torch from the failing hands of dogs who have gone before him, and he's carrying on the torch, lighting the way for mankind behind him. And the dogs, as each dog succeeding generation comes, more and more intelligent will they become, and more and more will they shun the various fire plugs in the neighborhood for other more convenient and more manlike facilities until finally dogs will be writing poems to people and people as they always have will be writing poems to dogs and eventually dogs will sing songs about the blonde that they fell in love with down in Miami and Miami blondes will be singing songs about the schnauzer she had an affair with in the Buke and on and on and on it goes Speaking of dogs, this is W O R A M and F M New York, and the little business there. Wouldn't you really rather have a Buick? A Buick? A Buick? Oh, wouldn't you really rather have a Buick? Quack quack. You may not be an animal lover until you see the new 1964 Buick Wildcat. It is the wildest. Horsepower, 325, 340, or 360. Transmission, three-speed synchromesh, four-speed stick shift, or the new Buick Super Turbine 400 automatic. It all adds up to the wildest thing on wheels. Wildcat for 64. Above all, it's a Buick. You may not be an animal lover, but you'll love the Wildcat. Boy, was that an unconscious gag. Just came right out. Let's see, speaking of unconscious gags, we have with us here tonight... Oh, yeah, 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 Mandarin House... And uh, and I can see why guys in the end begin to be devotees of the senses. You know, about all you really know is that occasionally you get a kick or two out of life. <laughs> and, and, and if you're a person who enjoys occasionally eating, and I mean really good food, unusual and spectacular food, I would like to recommend most respectfully and highly the Mandarin House restaurants. The, the, the one that I particularly enjoy is Mandarin House down on 13th Street between 6th and 7th. And both, incidentally, both of the Mandarin restaurants are, are, are vaguely, subtly different because each is, is chefed by an individual artist. Uh, the other Mandarin House is up on 2nd Avenue, just a little bit north of 57th Street. It's on 2nd Avenue. 
They have bars. They're open on the weekend. Mandarin down on 13th between 6th and 7th, and the one up on 2nd Avenue. Beautiful, spectacular, fine restaurants, okay? All right, now, let's see. We also have here uh, Christmas promos. See, make your Christmas merrier by sharing, okay? Send some money to WOR. Box 710, Times Square Station, New York. I'm a terrible person, really. You know, this this Christmas fun thing really is a great thing. And, and uh, every year it's a tremendous success. And if you would like to help kids throughout the New York area who are orphans and so on in hospitals, WOR every year, in case you don't know about it, every year buys a, a tremendous collection of really fine gifts. They don't They don't go out and buy little plastic dolls that you squeeze. Uh, fine gifts that are expensive gifts and that are real gifts and they distribute them of course naturally free to kids throughout the area and if you would like to help send uh, whatever you can to box 710 Times Square station okay now uh, you know uh, getting back though you know Christmas uh, at any given time during during the year whenever there is some kind of a big holiday one kind or another Many truths become evident. I don't know why this is. I, I, I don't know, know why. Of course, there are many reasons why, probably. And we could spend the next 15 semesters on this show discussing why, for example, man feels the need for holidays. Mass celebrations. Has it ever occurred to you that that's an interesting thing? That in every, in every civilization, and even in the most primitive civilizations, there is that moment when man celebrates something. They all get together and they start beating on drums. Uh, <laughs> you know, in, in a very, in, in one way or another. Or they all get together and they start running flags up. Now, they develop, they develop a, a, a ritual, you see. The ritual itself somehow draws people together. Ritualism itself. And in that moment, perhaps maybe uh, this moment of truth does come out, whatever the truth is, or, or the moment of oneness. But, uh, Ritual is, is, is an intriguing thing. One of the rituals that we have, and uh, this is a subtler kind of a ritual, I suppose, but one of the rituals that we have is that we are a very different creature than our obvious... Uh, by ritual, I mean one of the rituals we have is the statement over and over again in plays, dramas, one thing and another, books, songs that man is a very different creature from what he obviously is if you were to stand back a thousand miles and watch him through a microscope or a telescope or whatever it is you had, some kind of a great vision you see, you could see all of man, you would have a very different idea of what man is than what man claims he is. Now, now could you imagine just what if, say if uh, some kind of a completely foreign body to us, some kind, we, we can't conceive, of course, man in his ego, can hardly conceive of any other creature ever any place else having uh, what we ordinarily call intelligence. Of course, what we, when we refer to the term intelligence, again, we refer to man, you see. We, we always think of it in terms of man. Now, we can't conceive of any other kind of creature having a completely different thing that is above and beyond and totally removed from intelligence itself. It could be in many ways, uh, and I hate to use the word superior, because it would be different, you see. <laughs> it, it, it would be completely different. The mind of a giraffe, let's put it on this plane, the mind of a giraffe cannot be compared with the mind of man because uh, all the problems pertaining to giraffedom 
all the the uh, aspirations and the the uh, the pressures and the 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 daily things that happen to a giraffe are completely different and foreign to the man so it is impossible to really compare a giraffe to a man unless you are going to be unfair and say well now the giraffe uh, we'll see how many tricks he can learn uh, automatically you're doing a man thing you see to him we will see how many things that he can do we'll give him tests now and so you say now here over here we'll put this leaf and over here we'll put that leaf and we'll see how long it takes him to learn that the leaf over here is the one he wants you see right away you're 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 giving him an artificial situation that has no that pertains not to giraffe world is it not so it, getting getting back to the original thing here we cannot conceive really of a being a body or a creature looking at us from the remove of being different and yet being able to 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 observe us the way we observe giraffes let us say now can you imagine a super giraffe some kind of a super giraffe who has a completely different set of moral and ethical and physical and all other standards observing us and trying to come to a conclusion as to what we are now let us say that this being has what we call ordinarily intelligence but this intelligence we'll say again is of a far greater or broader scope primarily because he's not us he can be ob objective about us because he isn't us he does not have two legs he does not have two arms he does not uh, have a fantastic desire to make the scene with a chick named Marie you see so he does not have he does not have all the hang-ups he's he's in short not human uh, on the other hand, we can be observant about him, you see, because as we see him, let's say he's this giant glob. Well, we can observe this giant glob, you know, it, it comes from planet X or something. We can observe this giant glob objectively because we do not have any subjective reactions to him. Yeah, you don't feel any warmth. He, he only superficially resembles Aunt Teresa because he's fat. But the outside of that, you know, he goes gloop. Or he, he's a great glob, you see, 17,000 feet across and 20,000 feet deep. So it's very hard to compare him with, with even, even Aunt Clara, you know. So in the end, you cannot make any, you're not, you're not subjective, you're objective. And so you will begin to observe him just the way scientists will observe the ant. Uh, or he will observe the whale or he will observe the, the bluefish or whatever it is he's, he's observing objectively. Well now, I wonder what kind of conclusions this creature would come from would come to observing us say over a period of a thousand years as to what kind of a creature we are I wonder if his observations would have any relationship at all to what we say we are curious I'm very curious about that I, I, I wonder, I wonder whether there would be any parallel at all. Now, one of the rituals, of course, is that man holds a certain set of beliefs about him and uh, about himself. And, and, and one of the rituals that, that we go through constantly, no matter what society it is, is that man is basically a friendly, gentle, beautiful creature. This is one of the basic assumption, assumptions that is made in almost all societies. And... Uh, Every time that it turns out to be the opposite, we, we think this is the unusual or the not normal situation. We say this is beyond the norm. Well, uh, let's look at some of the things. Now, here, here, here's a little thing here that's kind of interesting. Now, I don't know whether you... Just, just a little things now. Here, it comes out in strange ways. 
what, for example, what the what that glob would think of us. This could be written by the glob. I will read now to you a thing that is out of the Sears Roebuck catalog, the Christmas catalog. Here it is in 15 colors. I will read to you just a little statement that that is the headline. It says, Sears puts at your fingertips more of what America's children want most. Big double-page spread, you see. And the double-page spread shows a fantastic war going on. And underneath that little line, it says, This 411-piece set, American Patrol, attacks with 90 GIs, 25 assault vehicles, and real artillery fire to overwhelm 64 realistic enemy soldiers. Yes, Sears puts at your fingertips more of what America's children want most. Now, now to, to go on even further than that, you know, you can say, well, that's obvious, you know, the kids have always wanted to play with soldiers, but why? We'd like to pretend that, that, the, that the idea of war and all this is, is repugnant to us, and yet, throughout the ages, more people have written about war, have played with little soldiers, have played they are soldiers, until finally today, you know, that you can buy about 15 different types of uniforms for kids. Your kid can be a little colonel in the Air Force, for example. That's a scary thought. They're never T T fives, you know. <laughs> you can be, be a little, yeah. You can get a little colonel suit. You can get a little uh, lieutenant colonel in the in the army suit, artillery, and a little thing across the uh, cannons. And you can you can practically pick whatever suit you want, and the kids dig it, of course. Now, uh, again, relating to that thing which we believe we are, which as opposed to what we are. Now there is another wildly interesting thing that's going on in the doll world, for example. Dolls today are, are doing their darndest to reproduce life. Now, uh, there is a growing trend in America, and I suppose you've become aware of it because you've no doubt seen it, of adults collecting dolls. Adults collecting dolls as opposed... Yes! as opposed to adults collecting other adults, you know, or collecting babies, or one thing else, you know, the real thing. So there's a new big thing of adults surrounding themselves with doll houses and with little dolls of one kind or another that they can, they, they can simulate life, or, or poodles, or something else. They'll, they'll, they'll use this to, to simulate a, a, a real being that they're making an involvement with. And so here you, you have this, this growth of the doll thing. So eventually it has gotten to the point now where you can buy entire families. Now, you can buy doll families. Oh, yes, Daddy, who's a doctor doll, by the way. This is funny, yeah. Daddy is never just an ordinary guy, you know. He doesn't drive a hack or anything like that. He's a doctor doll, see. And, and Daddy is standing there. Have you ever seen these doll families? Oh, they're big deals now. Where Daddy is standing there, and he's wearing his, his Dr. Kildare suit, see. Oh, boy, what this doesn't say about us psychologically. And there is, is uh, the, the, the two kids, you see. They're always, they always have names like Tammy or Debbie and and uh, and there or Barbie or something like that. So so here is Barbie and there is Ken, the two the the two dolls, the teenage dolls, you see, and 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 mommy. Now here's the significant thing that I noticed in the picture, daddy doll, and and incidentally he's called the basic dad doll, which <laughs> would really throw me, you know, the basic dad doll. Well, the basic dad doll has wrinkles. And, and the basic dad doll, not only he has wrinkles in his forehead, you see, 
and he, his, the, the, the hair at his temples is vaguely graying, believe it or not. But I would like to ask you how you think the face of the basic mom doll looks. Well, I want to tell you, the, ba the face of the basic mom doll looks exactly like the face of the basic daughter doll, which is roughly 12. So mommy is totally untouched by time and remains forever a teenager. Uh, the only difference between her, herself and her daughter doll is that she is an inch and a half taller. And in addition to that, she carries a purse. The other, <laughs> and, that's, and, and so daddy, daddy is slowly, even in the doll world, is slowly dissolving. So you can see daddy standing there. The daddy doll is shown standing in the background, by the way, in the picture, which I think is a really fascinating uh, kind of display of, of the American concept of life. Daddy is standing in the background. He is graying. He is wrinkled. And he has a worried look on his face. Daddy. And, and mommy is standing in the foreground. She looks vaguely like an eternal Jackie Kennedy. If you can imagine Jackie Kennedy 15 years ago, <laughs> you know. So here's Jackie. Uh, so here, here are the four of them standing there. And then on the pre on the next pages, you can buy an entire life for these people. You can buy wardrobes for the whole crew. You can buy everything except who knows, you know. Probably even the final funeral possession can can be purchased if you really go far enough. That'll we'll come to that yet. Wait. You, you can buy weddings, you can buy the whole scene, and then they, caught, they have what they call doll appliances. Oh, yes, and so at the age of eight or nine, the, already the little kid is, realizes that all the dolls have to have all the things. You can buy now a doll electric can opener. And, oh, yes, you can buy all the trivia that people have surrounded, uh, little electric toothbrushes and the whole scene, Whole, the whole business. Now, there is a doll. You can buy even now, to speaking of going further into the doll world and the concept of life, you can buy a doll now that is called something like the busy doll. Well, anyway, this doll, I don't know whether it's probably transistor operated or something, this doll is designed to be fed, you see. And, and, and while you feed the doll, this doll throws the food all over the house. <laughs> oh, yeah, you'd say. Oh, yeah, that's right. Now, now this, this is a reproduction of life. Of course, uh, dolls do everything else now. They wet and the whole scene. Uh, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, they, they do all that. Now, I'm, I'm sure that on the drawing boards already is the little Eddie doll, spelled O-E-D-I-E, -E, short for Oedipus. Yes, the little Oedipus doll, that at, very shortly after you buy this doll and wind him up or plug him in, he grows to hate you. You see, grows to hate the little girl that owns the Oedipus doll. He and also he has wild, insane desires about the little about you know. Oh yes, oh, I mean if you're going to reproduce life, you might as well go all the way. You see, and after you have this doll for about a year or so, the doll turns into a real problem. He begins to hang around with other male dolls around the corner, and all of them start wearing little girl dolls' shoes, and, oh, it gets to be a mess, you know, terrible little Oedipus. And of course, and, and I think it would be kind of fun. Then, on the other hand, I'm sure that, that if that the next year after that, they would have the little J.D. <laughs> you can have, you can buy yourself this lovely little doll that one day, while your back is turned, busts a window. And, and, and writes upon the mirror a simple four-letter expletive. And you're, then, then the kids can play 
problem parents. You see, they can get down and say, I don't know what to do with little J.D. Did you see what J.D.? He says, I don't know. We were trying to bring him up well. Well, the, 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 whole, thing, the whole thing is approaching a really interesting phase of psychological and philosophical uh, denouement. Oh, yeah. Uh, now, the question is, I'd like to, are we really against these things? Of course not. I don't think we are. We would not reproduce them for play. We couldn't possibly. Uh, and, and so, again, during, during a time of, I suppose you might say, during a time of uh, national uh, Halloween or national Thanksgiving Day or whatever the, the particular ritual happens to be that we're celebrating or whatever it is in other countries, I'm sure little bits of the truth come floating out that during the year you never see. You don't hear about these dolls during the year, generally. And all of a sudden, during the holiday time, the basic dad doll makes his appearance. And uh, it's, a, it's a kind of a... Speaking of the basic dad doll, in another, another kind of way, here is... Uh, oh, yes, there is, there is another thing, too. There is an example of the house there. there. You can buy a whole house for the doll. Now, I'm not talking about a doll house. I'm talking about like a milieu in which the doll lives at. And so the doll is, is, uh, is, is known to have a dream house. You can buy a, uh, let's say, if, you're, if the name of your doll is, let's say, uh, Betty, uh, the Betty dream house. Well, now, the dream house that the little doll lives in, and I was looking very carefully at the picture, that it has all the accoutrements of the dream house of America in 1964. Uh, one thing is lacking. Nowhere in the dream house is there even a suggestion of a bookcase or a book. The entire house is, is filled with things like, uh, uh, well, it's filled with uh, electric can openers, it's filled with uh, automatic washers, it's filled with things like TV sets, and color, by the way, it says color TV on it, so the kid knows this, this dream house is really going all the way. You know, you can see Perry Como in color instead of that drab, listless black and white that Perry usually shows up in, that sort of melting, listless uh, blob. And, and, and on and on, the, the, the dream house concept is an intriguing one, too. Now, now, carrying the dream house idea further, the dream house will find its, its way into many other elements of American, or, and, and I might say, other world and other society uh, fantasies. Here, here's another example of the dream house world. This is another uh, uh, gift that is a suggestion. Now, you don't run into this stuff very often, except during, during times when, you know, there's kind of a, a, a national celebration or an international celebration, some kind of, a, some kind of a, 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 a holiday. Here's one. He says, what an elegant hideout for your TV guide. Striking gold color mylar mesh, non-tarnishable, with a dramatic big felt TV studded with rhinestones on the front. It's a beautiful gold lame cover for your TV guide. <laughs> with rhinestones, studded with rhinestones, this big TV. Sounds like a beautiful thing. It says, you'll want to keep it right on the top of your TV set where it will show. And you will take pride in passing it to your viewing guests who want to check something in their weekly guidebook. It's called the Golden TV Guide Cover. I like the idea of, of viewing guests. I don't know what a viewing guest is, I suppose. You know, that, that, that brings up some pretty awful ideas and thoughts, too. But nevertheless, 
Uh, this is not in, in any way, shape, or form. I hope you don't don't uh, don't feel that this is putting this down. It is in uh, just just uh, you know here it is, and that's that's life. I think I think critics often mistake uh, often mistake. Uh, I suppose you might say romance for reality and reality for romance. Uh, I, I recently read a long, involved, and beautifully written uh, essay on on uh, TV. In fact, it, it's in. It's a beautiful thing. I, I suggest you read it. Except that I might point. I have to point out one thing that I felt about it. It's in the current issue of the New Yorker, and it's about television. And it's a it's a kind of a, a, a critics looking at TV from a very philosophical standpoint, just looking at it through the through the grayness of that strange little flickering picture in the corner. And he he uh, the critic uh, was continually hit by the banality of TV and the unreality of television. Well, I would like to submit to this critic that what he is talking about and what he is rating against, again, and this is the thing that, 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 uh, that has been pointed out by many others, not, not, you know, it's just a common thing that's pointed out, but it has to be restated from time to time, that again, often what we object to is the human mind itself. It has been in my, in my experience that in 99.9% in, in .9 of life, and that includes me and everybody else, I'm not excluding myself, that 99.9% .9 of our life is banal. 99.9% .9 of our thoughts are banal. 99.9% .9 of our conclusions and our ideas and our, our, uh, our whatever it is that we think about the world not only is banal, but is often non-existent entirely. We just sort of walk around and scratch. And to expect a, 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 a giant form to reflect other than what really is out there is, I think, to misunderstand what is there. In short, and I'm not trying to say that the, that the world is composed of slobs. No, the world is composed of men. That's all. Some men are hung on one thing, un other men are hung on another. And if a man thinks that he is solving reality and is intellectual by devoting himself to chess, that is a fascinating concept of reality and intellectuality. Another man devotes himself to listening to music. He feels somehow he's more intellectual and has a firmer grasp on existence and art and oh, who knows what else than the guy who sits and watches the New York Giants play. I wonder who has. I wonder if anybody has. It's a very difficult... And this is not an anti-intellectual tirade tonight. It is, it is just a questioning of whether or not we are misunderstanding or don't even understand or will never understand the mind of, 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 of us, what we are, you know. And so I, I, read, I read this thing about television, and yet... Uh, I, I find that most minds are not really interested in any other than just a little trivial uh, morality play on, say, uh, east side, west side. Very basic, very trivial, and furthermore, very banal in its, in its uh, morality conclusions that it draws. It always draws the, the, the kind of obvious conclusion that everybody always draws anyway, you know, that kind of thing. I, I find that very few people are, are uh, even... Uh, even interested or, or can, can even comprehend or maybe on the other hand uh, there is no other conclusion who knows it's very hard 
If you were to erase television, friend, or whatever critic you are, what would you replace it with? And, and, and if you were to take all the programs off tomorrow morning, just erase them. From, and incidentally, it has to be pointed out that these programs are also created by men. <laughs> they are not handed down from some big TV heaven, some rotten TV heaven that's cynically trying to subvert or pervert the mind of man. I'm sorry. It is created by guys just like everybody else. It's like getting mad at people because they wear shoes. <laughs> you know, in a sense. And again, I'm not trying to excuse anything. And, and, and yet, I suppose one of the great games of all time, one of the great games that we all carry to the grave, if we carry anything at all, is our, is our basic superiority. The guy who is sitting out there watching the Giants play, believe me, if you were to, if you were to trap him back there in the bar and you were to ask him what he thinks of the, of the big concert that's going on down at uh, Lincoln Center, he'd say, ah, oh, them long hairs. <laughs> he's saying he's superior. He's discovered something in Kyle Roth. He's discovered something in Frank Gifford that, that ah, oh, them guys, are, Lenny Bernstein, ah, oh, that long hair, oh, that sissy stuff. Well, now then you get one of those guys coming out of, of one of Lenny Bernhardt's sissy concerts. You catch him down there outside of the Lincoln Center, and you say, Sir, what do you think of, of this, the, this crowd that's uh, just coming out of, of the Giants-Packers uh, uh, game there? There's 67,000 people. Actually, man, the world is composed of, uh, of uh, I'd say, largely chowder heads, if I may use an expression. Actually, these poor, these poor chaps, I feel sorry for them. They, would, they wouldn't actually understand the, uh, uh, how shall I put it, the, the, the finer feelings that I felt tonight when I listened to Bruckner's Third Symphony and Mr. Bernstein. Well, now, what he is saying is, in a sense, the same thing that the guy in the bar is saying. Who knows, you know? And what difference does it make, for God's sakes? I mean, you know, we're all spinning through this wild thing for a brief moment, and, you know, uh, there it is. You take it for what it is or you don't. That's the end of it. Now, many guys will wind up dying, twisted um, out of their minds, trying to figure out why the rest of the world isn't like they are. Ergo, smart, intelligent, uh, logical, good, moral, brave, clean, reverent, etc., etc., etc. Now, you know, uh, it, 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 it makes you wonder, you see. I'm not putting down the basic dad doll. Not a bit of it. Nor am I putting down what America's children really want in four colors, the giant plastic war that's going on <laughs> all over the living room under the Christmas tree, which was erected in the memory of the Prince of Peace. Now, I'm not, I'm not putting this down. Nor am I putting down, if I may say so, the dog, the dog diplomas that were handed out out there in Connecticut 